Me alright? My name's Paul, I've got autism, and I make random videos based on my version of autism and the way my head works, and I stick the videos on the internet in case you fancy giving them a watch. And I hope you're all doing alright. Um, a little bit of an update from me, um, and I apologise for those who are sick and tired of me talking about it, but it's dentist related. <laughs> um, you know, and the reason I find it important to talk about the dentist is because it's a genuine fear of mine. And I get accused all the time of not being autistic or I don't seem autistic. And all that does is reaffirm how well I am at masking because the person you see is not the person I am. I just talk about the things that the person who is really inside, how I really feel, and then I put a mask on and tell you about it. So it's important for me to tell you about things I'm scared of, things I fear, because that's where you'll hear more of the genuine autism, I believe. Could be miles off, I always am. But um, basically, I, I went to a new dentist because I, I keep having terrible experiences. You know, I've had someone who basically tells me to shut up and sit in that chair, stay as still as I can, and then they just go to town in my face, which I don't appreciate. Um, I went to a private guy. Turned out he was a fraud and uh, had been sued in the past for causing work um, to earn more money. Um, then I went to another dentist and he did a plaque scraping so hard that he pulled a tooth down. So I'm just not having good experiences. And, you know, I'm petrified of three things, mainly when it comes to the dentist. Needles. It feels like you are sticking a metal garden hose through my face. I can feel the shape of the needle. I can feel where it's got that extra little jagged part on it. I can feel it slide through. I can feel it slide out. I can feel the liquid being administered. I can feel it moving around. Uh, and it goes through me as well as it being extremely painful. I'm fearful of people being over me. Um, and I'm fearful of people with their faces covered with masks on. Um, you know, when people are over me, I need to always feel like I can fight or flight. Um, especially in situations I feel really uncomfortable in. Um, and when I'm, you know, I've got people over me and I'm on the, I'm, it's not a good position to be in. And people, when they've got the faces covered, I just can't read expressions, you know. And I, I explained all this to this guy and he was good about it. And he's like, look, I have to wear a mask, but I could change the mask for a visor so you can see my face. Um, he didn't recline me all the way back. He sort of kept me as up as he could where he could still examine. Um, you know, he, he listened. He, like, I didn't have to get in the chair to talk to him. I could stand up and talk to him, or I could sit in a chair that wasn't the dentist chair to talk to him, and it all helped. He let me speak and ramble and just never shut up. And then he answered with what I was saying, and that helped. You know, and I explained to him, and this might sound off the wall here, but I, I said to him, and it's true, but I need to feel like the person doing the work is a friend because otherwise they're a neutral person and I don't like them causing me pain. And I get, I do get fight or flight, but I'm in the fight camp, you know? So whereas I could faint through fear and, you know, and the needle instead, like he even mentioned, he goes, your face is blood red. Are you all right? And I was like, it's because it's the fight or flight. I'm very scared. And you're poking and you're prodding and you're in my mouth. <laughs> Um, I said, you know, and I want to, or I could, you know, get older to stop you doing it sort of thing, but I won't, I'm not going to, but that's what my body wants me to do because it's full of fear. Um, 
but I'm going off on tangents. Uh, but, you know, he, he had a look around anyway. And unfortunately for me, there's a fair bit of work to be done. Uh, one of them is including having a tooth removed, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure for those who've listened to me, be very upset and very nervous and very anxious about dentists. That's kind of the last thing I want um, to hear. You know, I'm always fearful of, oh, you need a filling. But this time it was, oh, no, you need a tooth out. Uh, I mean, the good news is it's a wisdom tooth. So it's not like it's going to affect my already strange smile. Um, and what's happened is the tooth beneath it never came through, which I know. And the tooth grows sideways into my other teeth, which I already know and isn't the problem. But because there's a gap and teeth grow until they fill gaps, it's at my gum line. And it's rubbing on another tooth beneath it. Um, and I don't know the name of teeth. I am terrible when it comes to it, but it's the one that would be next. Is it a molar? The one that would be next to a, a wisdom tooth at the back. Um, and it's rubbing and it's wearing my lower tooth down um, from the side, like it's causing a bit of friction and shaving it off. Um, and because the wisdom tooth is stronger and I don't need it, he wants to get rid of it because I'll have problems with a healthy tooth which I understand. I saw all the x-rays. We talked about it and it's like, okay, well, look, you know, and, and what was nice, and I'm sorry for stuttering and going over the same thing over and over again, but I don't speak about this with humans. You're my venting uh, outlay. And what was nice is I, I got to ask him all the questions, you know, and I was saying, you know, I've got a big gap at the top between a couple of teeth that I get food caught in all the time. Can you put a filling over that gap? Because I'm sick of always carrying a scraper out with me and, you know, pulling half a steak out. And he's like, well, no, because you shouldn't have gaps at the top of teeth. You know, this is the whole point. We need to get rid of that wisdom tooth. Then that'll hopefully remove that gap that you're catching food in. And, you know, I was talking about my teeth have moved in at the sides and like, is there a way of bringing them back out? He's like, yeah, but it will be a brace. I'm like, okay, I'll have a brace. I'm not shy about having a brace. I had a top and bottom. I had the railroads uh, when I was at school, but luckily for me, braces were cool when I was at school. I don't know if they are now, but, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it was like, oh, right, you've got a brace or whatever. Um, so it wasn't something to bully people over, which I'm glad about because, my entire face was a brace, you know, and um, like my fangs started like probably the like right where my gum line is, and they were really long. I was like a saber tooth tiger, um, so I had to have a brace to pull them down, and it took about two or three years to get them in line. Uh, so yeah, I you know I'm, I'm quite happy to have a brace, not a bother with that. Um, I'll probably get one that matches the color of my teeth. Um, he wants to figure out why I've got a problem with how I bite. Apparently, I don't bite properly. Um, so the way I close my jaw isn't correct. I didn't know that, but he does. Um, and I had to keep biting on this weird tasting paper so we could see how my bite looks. So, uh, and I've got to go for a descale. I know it's called a scale and polish, but it's a descale. I don't want scale adding. Um, so I'm having a descale to get all the crap out from between my teeth. Um, and I told him that I only learned how to floss by watching The Patient on Netflix. Like there's a scene where Steve Carell's like just dropping this floss between his teeth. And I thought, is that it? I didn't realize it was that simple. I thought you had to put floss between your teeth and then like, you know, like when you get out the, the, the shower and you're toweling yourself off, I thought you had to sort of 
really move it between teeth, and apparently you don't. Um, and I also thought you only flossed your front teeth. He's like, don't be stupid. You floss all your teeth. I was like, okay. Um, so it was a bit, a bit of an eye-opener. Um, you know, but it didn't smell like a dentist. It didn't look like a dentist. Um, so, yeah, I've got to go and get a, a load of work done. So the tooth is a scary thought, but, you know, it's, it's going to actually, it's going to sound crazy as well, but it's going to shave a bit off my enamel on the lower tooth to give it me a bit more time to get the, you know, the, the courage to have a, a tooth removed to stop some of this friction. But anyway, I'm waffling far too much about my teeth and dentists. And I think if we took all the dentist fear talks out of my videos, we probably could have made a five hour video. Um, but what, anyway, stop it, Paul. So what I want to talk about is something which I can't be alone in thinking. And it's to do with the cures for autism. And I know I've done a video about it, but I've not talked from this angle. The video I did about the cures for autism, it was mockery. It was making a mockery of cures because you can't cure a difference. You know, having autism is basically like, um, you know, there's people out there who like bacon and those who don't like bacon. Now, we're not experimenting on the people who don't like bacon to figure out why not. You know, you either like it or you don't. You're either born with autism or you're not. But there's always this focus on curing autism. And I don't like it at all. And I've really started to build up more of an anger and a more of a disdain for every time I hear the word cure and it being related to autism. And I want to say why. I want to tell you what worries me about the future of autism. Because you have people out there, these scientists, these professors, these people with PhDs and other degrees, studying to find a cure for autism. And I've said before, I've said it in videos before, what makes me laugh about all this research is there is an enormous amount of people out there, me included, who have done life, who are autistic. You know, I've been through school, I've been through an upbringing, I've been through puberty, I've been through jobs, I've been through getting fired, I've been through promotion, demotion, I've been through not being able to find a job, I've been able to, I've been through when I don't have money, I've been through living in horrible areas, I've been through good relationship, bad relationships, whether it be with a partner or friends. I've had fights, I've had fallouts, I've had missed opportunities, I've been stressed, I've burnt out, I've had meltdowns, and I've broken. Told you before, I shake because my body has just had enough of all the pressure I put on it. So there's people like me who exist. You know, and bear in mind, I was only diagnosed with autism at 34. There are people out there at 80, older, you know, who might never have been diagnosed, but they've always had a difference. There is a collective out there, a mountainous amount of people where researchers could come and have a chat. It's not like I'm hidden behind a door anymore. I'm on the internet. Most people who talk to me off the internet are not from England. So... I've, you know, the, the reach that my bearded, balding head shows up, it's not short. But no one wants to talk to me. No one wants to ask older autistic people how and why things were and how did it feel 
That's the important thing. How did it make you feel at the time? What do you think caused it? How could it have been easier? We are the people who could make it so much simpler for people to understand, especially for younger people growing up. But for some reason, it's like, ah, oh, no, you've passed that threshold of age. Let's just throw you on the scrap heap and hope you don't make too much noise. And let's keep trying to research things of unborn babies and babies, people who can't speak back because we've got to keep getting that funding. I strongly believe that's why it's focused on younger people because, you know, to make things easier, to make things better, you have to talk to people who've experienced it. I believe, but it's only based on my perception, as always. But I'm getting worried now. I've always been bothered that people look for a cure. There is no point in looking for a cure. There is not a disease here. It's a difference. So stop talking about cures. And I don't know why you want to cure autism in the first place. To me, it will never make sense. So I have a great distrust in if I was to go to a professional for guidance, support, any kind of help whatsoever, because they are invested in looking for cures. I don't want a cure, I want assistance. So stop using the word cure. That means you want to eradicate something to make it better. And what's worrying me now is there's been recent, more recent studies done on um, identifying autism in the womb. And it's saying around people, you know, the average age of the uh, baby in the womb was about 25 weeks, and they noticed different brain activity which can indicate when the child's born, whether the child has autism or not. Now, it's not far-fetched at all to think the more we move forward with this research and looking for cures, that that 25 weeks is going to become 20 weeks is going to become 15 weeks, is going to become 10 weeks. They're always, with research and advancing technologies, be able to try and attribute something somewhere to where autism comes from. Not that we need to know. I've never been curious as to where did my autism come from, why my autistic. I just am. Everybody else seems more invested in trying to figure out that than people who are autistic, which is odd. Um, but let's say, and this is what worries me, and hopefully I'm not alone in this, but the closer we get, the younger they get, especially in the womb, the younger it gets in the womb. Now, what if autism starts to be identified in the same bracket of time where you can legally abort a child. There's a test, isn't there, for whether a child may be born with Down syndrome and some parents choose to abort the fetus. Is that right? Is that wrong? Should people be allowed? Should we know? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I don't know. I'm not on the council to decide such things. I chose not to have children you know, whether they had a difference or not, because I could not raise a child. Um, because the way I need to look after me and the things I need to defend my existence and my well-being, a child would not have been beneficial. Now, I took all my life 
figuring that out. And I've done a video on it, I think. So I'm not going to go into that too much because there's a full video based on it. But if it ends up getting younger and younger and younger, and it falls into that realm, and let's say the parents have only ever heard bad things about autism, because you've got to remember, people who don't have autism are always trying to find a cure for autism. So that doesn't make it sound any good if people are trying to cure something, pouring tens, hundreds of thousands, millions pounds worth of research to try and find cures for autism of which there are none. It's all about management. It is all about observation, listening to the individual with the individual difference and working from there, putting societal expectation on someone who doesn't fit into societal expectations will always break. There is no cures. But say the parents only hear bad things about autism and then we're so far down the line where it, autism can be identified in the womb and they say, oh, just to let you know, your child is demonstrating markers that when they're born, they could be autistic. Now, if parents have got bad news, bad experience, poor education on what autism is, that could sway them down the path of let's support the child. Especially if you've got these specialists, these professionals with their PhDs and all other degrees. The people who are supposed to know best, and they are the ones who are doing this, you know, search for the cure, and they are the ones guiding them, saying, yes, your child may be born with autism spectrum disorder. This could result in the child having unknown difficulties, unknown complications. That child may be independent, or they may need assistance every second for the for every day for the rest of their life you know it really it's autism is too vast as it is to make that type of statement i've said before we need to say right autism and then we need subgroups kind of like letters and numbers but a lot more than what they offer now because this it's it it's not right it's irrelevant to i don't measure on that chart because I might be low support need, but when I need that support, it is a lot stronger than it is for people who get constant support because of what I have to go through to put my mind to say, right, now I need help. We need to identify autism better so they could identify their markers clearer if they're going to continue down this path. Just saying the child could be born with autism spectrum disorder then be given a fear talk by people who don't know what autism is because they don't have it. Chances are they won't have autism. They don't use autistic people to talk about what autism is and how it feels, which is the important bit, with parents who are uneducated. That, to me, spells a worrying future for autism because research only gets better. Technology only advances. Humans get more stupid, you know, turn the news on, you'll see that. But everything else gets better, which means this 25 weeks where they're identical, the Harvard uh, research that's recently been done, that 25 weeks is going to come to 20, is going to go to 15, is going to go to 10. They're going to get it into the, re the range where children could be aborted. 
and the option to abort them is that they're autistic. Now, in some of these countries where it's a bit like all you are is a cog in a wheel and we make it very known that you are, you know, you're not having a child with autism. You're not bringing one into this world. So if it's found that your child is a, is autistic, it's aborted. You know, and it's worrying because it's social engineering and people are trying to socially engineer autism out of society. And what's scary about it for me is it's across the world. Some countries don't accept autism exists. I had a guy email me saying there's no such thing as autism. You just had a bad upbringing and didn't get disciplined enough. Okay, I was diagnosed at 34, mate. So where's your ridiculous outcome of that? Yeah, it's just, but some people don't classify autism as a thing. But it seems like every country that does are all invested in cures, curing autism. And now the research has got it to a point where it's just now carrying on down that path where it's going to end up with the option in some countries and potentially the mandatory uh, fix of if your child has autism, it's going to be aborted. If your child has, you know, I'm telling you, your child potentially has autism. So it's up to you now over the next couple of weeks, what you decide to do with it. And it's social engineering at its finest, which begs the question, why? Why do people research autism to the degree that they do all over the world to try and find a cure for it? They're talking about um, being able to do hyperbaric um, testing in hyperbaric chambers because uh, it improves the attitude of people with autism. And you know, I, I, I don't know why. I would love, and I mean love, to sit down calmly and have a discussion like I'm talking to you with people who are invested, who've spent their life's work researching autism, trying to find cures, to ask them the questions of why. Why do you need a cure for autism? What is it about me that bothers you so much? What is it, what is it you're looking for that you believe can help me so much. I need to know why it's so important to find a cure. And just to pick on the cure word, you do need to have something wrong. There does need to be a disease, an illness, an ailment, something that has the potential to be fixed. I don't need fixing. You know, and just to go back to the scenario where in future technologies, time and the age, you know, the number of weeks that a child could be um, identified with markers of being autistic in the womb, if it falls into that category of um, abortion time, whatever that is. Let's, let's say there's, you know, let's, let's say my mum was in the future <laughs> when she was pregnant with me and that technology existed. And they say to my mum, right, just to let you know, and there was a biased um, health professional, and my mum knew nothing of autism and still doesn't. Um, and they said, right, your child is going to be autistic, uh, which means unknown complications, unknown difficulties, basically piling on the negative. That could have, not saying it would have, but that could have persuaded my mum to go, I can't deal with that. I'm going to have to have this pregnancy terminated. Now, if that was the case, I wouldn't be sat here today 
talking my waffle and my nonsense into the world. <laughs> but I could not have been here. Autistic people watching this right now, you might not have been here if that technology would have existed. Now, I've had emails and I've spoken to people who are unhappy with being autistic. But I'm not unhappy with my autism. I've been unhappy with my management of my autism because I can't change the autism, but I can change how I manage. The things that will bother me and trigger me will always bother and trigger me. I've talked about the dentist. Whether I'm in a great mood or a bad mood or a happy mood or a sad mood, that thing feels the same because that is my autism. That is controlling my emotion for that. But my management will get me through the door to have that tooth pulled. Or I can just go the other way and say, I'm not having that. Let the tooth cause more problems and end up having more complications down the line. Management is everything. But I've had a hard life. I've also had good times in my life. I've had a life and still have a life that's worth living for. I do things that I need to do. I didn't ask to be here, but while I'm here, I'm going to try and make the best of it. When I talk to Dave at work, if he says something funny, it makes me laugh and I laugh and I feel good while I'm laughing and I like that rapport. I'd never have felt that if I was kicked off this earth. And it shouldn't be given to the decision of people who are not autistic, who don't still don't know what autism is, still don't know how to categorise autism correctly, still don't know how to do the correct course of action for people who are autistic because nobody wants to speak to older autistic people. As I've said, we get thrown on the scrap heap and forgotten about and hope we don't make too much noise when we are there as an abundance of resource. Everything, even the DSM-5, is now wrong because there's so many autistic people going, mm -mm, that doesn't work for me. No, no, that's wrong. You know, you need to have a look at that. Of course, we're empathetic. Of course, we're this. Of course, we're that. And people have realized that there are similarities, but who we are and how we're designed with our autism is, you know, it's an, we're as individual as a fingerprint. And it's down to learning the person, not the name of something. But the closer we do, the better we can get with subcategorizing autism to then be a bit more specialist in how we focus and how we function and how we can manage. Because, you know, managing, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I need someone to make all the decisions for me every second of every day. You know, it's like the last work, one of the last workplaces I worked I was in a team of people who all knew how to do their job. But what we needed was a manager to make the final decision. You know, so it, we were competent, but we needed somebody to make the overall final decision. Sometimes that's what we need, but I make my own final decisions. I'll, I'll evaluate what I need and make my decision because I manage. So it doesn't always mean somebody else has to look after me. And it's just a shame that we keep hearing about research and people have problems about certain companies. Oh, they're looking for a cure. No, no. Anyone who mentions the word cure with autism is the enemy to autism. There's a lot of money-making schemes out there with your ABA therapies and people telling you your diet improves your autism. It doesn't. I've eaten everything on earth. Trust me, your diet makes no difference. Your management does. 
anyone who talks about the cure is a money-making pedalist. That's all they are. They're just, they're not somebody who is doing anything accurate. They're not here to help. They are the enemy and we need to treat them as an enemy because they're trying to remove the very thing that makes us who we are. And we've done nothing to upset or offend them, but they're doing everything to upset and offend me. And I'm sorry for saying that. I should never tell you what to do. I, I can't stand people who do that. And then there's me doing it for you as well. How dare I scrap that bit? Um, you'll make your own judgment as always. But I do believe personally, my view, the way my head works, that anyone talking about the cure for autism, research to figure out these therapies, they are the enemy. And... I am not going to be as quiet anymore every time someone mentions the word cure near me because people can be out there and have their weird little agendas in autism, the tiny things that make no difference whatsoever. They can complain about all them things, but I'm complaining about the thing that looks to attempt to socially engineer autism out of existence. And I am not happy about that. But if there's any experts, any of these people in that field who have watched this video for some bizarre reason, if you cared what an autistic person thinks, get in touch. I would love to talk to you and ask you the questions that I need to. But anyway, I hope that made sense and I hope I'm not the only one. Um, but if I am, at least I put my mouth on it. Um, but until next time, thank you very much as always for watching and keep smiling.